Please join us every week for a new episode of Understanding the Human Condition with Dr. James Flowers. Dr. Flowers and his most admired mentors, respected colleagues, and VIP guests will share valuable insight into underlying health causes, conditions, and issues. These in-depth yet approachable episodes are a great resource for both private individuals and industry professionals. Our esteemed host, Dr. James Flowers, is one of the most recognized and respected names in the field of chronic pain, mental health, and substance use disorders, both nationally and internationally. Dr. Flowers is the founder of J. Flowers Health Institute, located in Houston, Texas. For more information about J. Flowers Health Institute and its concierge services, go to jflowershealth.com or dial 713-783-6655. And be sure to mention this podcast. Welcome, everyone, to Understanding the Human Condition with our host, Dr. James Flowers. Hey, Robin. Hey, James. How are you? I called you James instead of Dr. Flowers. Uh We discussed that just a little bit ago. It is absolutely fine. Either (laughs) I answer to James or Dr. Flowers. (laughs) We have a special guest. Would you like to? Yeah, Dr. Drew Krieger. Dr. Drew, uh, my goodness, now I can't speak. I know. Dr. Andrew Krieger. I call you Drew most of the time. Welcome. Uh, thank you, Dr. Flowers. Yeah. Real privilege. Thank you. I'm, I'm so happy that you're here. You know, we have a great professional working relationship and a great friendship. And I've worked with you guys and Contemporary Medicine Associates for quite a few years now. You guys are one of the most respected, um, uh, really, I'm going to call it an addiction treatment practice in, in Houston. And I'm going to ask you in just a minute to tell us more about it. But, you know, I was uh, Dr. Uh, Degner was always a mentor of mine, as he probably was of yours and so many people in Houston. And uh, it's just an honor to have you here. So, Aww. thank you. Yeah, absolutely. I have a little bio about you. Can I read it real quick? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Dr. Drew Krieger is currently the CEO at Contemporary Medicine Associates here in Houston. He's a mental health and technology executive. Dr. Krieger has held various clinical positions at leading addiction treatment programs. He earned his doctorate from the University of Southern California and specializes in addictive disorders, family therapy, and process addictions. Welcome. Oh, thank you, Robin. Nice to have you again. Uh, would you mind sharing a little bit about your journey really in this addiction treatment world that you're in with yeah. us and, and where you came from and, and kind of where you are today and what, it, what inspired you to treat addictive disorders as a profession and, and how has it really affected your own human condition? Sure. Well, like most people who are in the addiction treatment field, mm-hmm. I have a personal connection to it. Sure. In, in my instance, it was my own issues with substances. Mm-hmm. And what happened, and, and you probably remember what life was like in the late 80s, early 90s. Oh, yeah. And it was the Wild West. Yes, it was. And yeah. so here I am, 22 years old. Yeah. It's yep. 1992. Right. And I have zero clinical experience. I am a college student in sociology, and actually George Joseph, who mm-hmm. you know, yep. uh, he was working at Parkside Lodge out in Katy, which was Dr. Degner's treatment center. That's right. And, and we were out at dinner, and he said, "Hey, you're in college, right? You want a job?" And 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 this is no exaggeration. It was literally showing up. Is and, that right? And it was mm-hmm. like, okay, here's the bathroom, here's uh, the cafeteria, and you have a group of three. Right, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> go see these patients. Yeah. And, and I, I I've, I've often kind of thought, geez, what were the ethical and legal? Yeah, exactly. re- yeah I mean, taking a, a group of 
uh, adolescents outside yeah, from a locked absolutely. unit, absolutely doing an experiential group <laughs> and with no licensure. Yeah, right? exactly. Like, like, yeah. But but there was a lot of kind of wild west. Yeah, and and. As I progressed in the field, uh, actually got licensed, I was, I was in the first batch of LCDCs. There, there were Kadaks back then, yep. and a lot of them grandfathered in, and I was hyper-ethical and gung-ho, and I said, no, I'm not going to grandfather in. I'm, yeah. I'm going to do it right. Well, do the you know, courses, yeah. Years and 3,000 hours later, I was thinking, geez, maybe I should have you know, grandfathered <laughs> in. Exactly. <laughs> right. But, but I, I finally graduated, and I came to this place where I thought, you know, if I'm going to do this, mm-hmm. I, I really need to be more sophisticated than using confrontation and self-disclosure. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I really need to actually learn the craft. Tra- mm-hmm. So, so I, I spent some really honest to goodness time researching it, talking yeah. to mentors, seeking mm-hmm. it out. And, and I chartered a course. I, I chose, uh, for, for people that don't know, uh, really, as a psychotherapist, there, there are two principal paths. There's the mm-hmm. psychology and the social work path, mm-hmm. and they're dissimilar and similar in lots of ways. And and I, I thought, you know what, uh, social work is sort of aligned with how I view the world. Mm-hmm. I, I like the, the terminal degree being at the master's level, mm-hmm. and, and I really thought, okay, I'll go get a master's in, in social work, become a clinician, and then I will go get a PhD in psychology, there and, you go. and I'll be an academic researcher right. therapist. Yeah. yeah. Um, so... Anyway, long story longer, um, I, I got wonderful clinical training. I mean, I, I did my uh, internships at Methodist and Baylor College of Medicine, which were mm-hmm. sister hospitals at the time. I, I guess sure. they're blood enemies now. Yeah, uh, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but back yeah. then, they, they were, were really friendly. That's right. And uh, Bob Beck, who a lot of people in Houston know, sure. he, uh, he was a wonderful mentor, as, as Gene Degner was. Mm-hmm. And I came out really wanting to do this. Now, now uh, just out on total fluke, I, I was starting a family. My, my wife and I had been together a while, but we started mm-hmm. having kids after grad school, et cetera. And what happened was I started looking at the market, which had mm-hmm. been totally decimated by managed care in, right. in the 90s. Mm-hmm. So, so managed care hit Houston really in earnest about 92, 93. Wow. Uh, I watched Parkside shut down 200 hospitals nationally. I saw that. Um, <laughs> I, I was, uh, we, we all migrated as a treatment team, as treatment teams do. That's right. Um, and wound up with a hospital system that was really early adopter in managed care. Right. But but I'm sitting here going, boy, that's a, I, I, the, I think this is absolutely true. I, I may have exaggerated it in my mind over the years, but mm-hmm. I, I recall spending three hours <laughs> certifying uh, two one-hour therapy sessions. Wow. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> now, if that's exaggerating, yeah. I apologize. But that's at least in right. my mind, that was an absolute fact. Mm-hmm. And um, I thought, geez, this is a hard way to make a living. It, the market had completely changed. Yeah. And so I thought I better just get an MBA as a backup. Right. And mm-hmm. so I did. Uh, U of H had started a concurrent program, yeah. and I was actually the third student to complete the curve. Wow. And an MBA and an MSW were like, oil and water right it it really was a schizophrenic experience Mm -hmm. but but what happened was i graduated and i was all set and i got a job offer from compact out of the blue yeah completely unsolicited just out of the blue and and so i left the field i left the Mm -hmm. field for 13 years i I was very fortunate i was able to work for big companies Mm -hmm. and kind of fast track and really kind of be at the ground level at a lot i was gonna say early on with compact well, Compact, which I was there when they were bought by HP, yep. and then I was at a big audio company. We did all the Apple's audio, right. and so was and then got involved in uh, consumer products, retail products, and, and then wound up in banking software. Wow. 
Mm. And and so really a, an interesting, exciting career. And I, I sort of left the clinical behind. Well, well, 10 years ago, I reconnected with the Degners and I was mm -hmm. exiting a software startup and I wound up back in and rekindled the passion. So yeah. that's amazing. And speaking of software or you know what, I'm going to pause for a second and talk about talk about your degree in social work. Sure. And and what recently happened in the state of Texas, I'm sure you're aware. Yes. With the social work board. Tell me your thoughts on on the social work board unanimously voting to really, I guess, be able to discriminate against LGBT community and also um, uh, people with disabilities. What's your thoughts on that? Well, it's somewhat shocking. And and I'm not just looking at it through my own personal lens. Um, I mean, I, I have two LGBTQ family members, mm -hmm. uh, a daughter and a sister-in-law. Mm -hmm. So this is a very personal issue for me. Mm -hmm. uh, I found out about this, oddly enough, through former... Um, you know, students that, that you know, colleagues who sure. started sending me texts saying, "Could you believe yeah. this?" Right. And I, I think in Texas, you know, there's some. I, I'm a Texas boy. I really mm -hmm. am. I grew up here. I, you know, a lot of those <laughs> stereotypes exist for a reason. Sure. I'm very passionate about yep. that. But but one thing I'm really not proud of is we really show up at the bottom of the tier on social justice issues. We do. Yeah. And where I am a capitalist, I, I do believe in a free market society. I do believe in self-determination. Mm -hmm. You know, there, there, there is a need for mm -hmm. a safety net, for consideration, you know, to serve underserved populations. I agree. And, and so for me, I, 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 I'm not at the front lines politically. Mm -hmm. I, I'm, I'm not in the streets. I'm not a political social worker. Right. But I have to tell you, when I saw that, I was just sort of stunned. Yeah. Right. And, and the reason I was stunned is if, if you know, for me, it's just so hard to make this leap to go, well, that's a class of people that don't need some kind of protection. Absolutely, mm -hmm. that's right, and, yeah. And, and so, again, I, I, I would bill myself as a moderate. Yeah. I, I, you know, I was in California, I think I was probably a real right-winger to California right. people. Sure. Uh, probably in Texas, I think I'm a crazy liberal. <laughs> there you go, yeah. <laughs> but, but the truth is, I'm, I, I, <clears throat> I think there's a bit of, I, I mean, frankly, I feel quite alienated in the current political environment. Yeah. I, I really yeah. do not identify with the polar extremes right or left. Right. Mm -hmm. And and so I, I've also, as, as you have, I've dedicated myself to a helping profession. Yeah. And and a lot of you know treating addicts is about serving an underserved population, uh, serving uh, people with mental health conditions uh, right. medically. We, we take great pride in that. That's an underserved population. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Having a social consciousness, mm -hmm. um, including, you know, race, Right. sexual orientation, mm -hmm. uh, identity, et cetera. Mm -hmm. um, you know, this is what I, I think is required to be in this line of work. I, I couldn't agree more. What do you think, uh, Drew, people should do that are listening? Uh, write letters to the social work board, write letters to whom? What do you think we can do as a society? Yeah, I, I think it starts with your personal space, meaning, mm -hmm. you know, you can treat people kindly and respectfully mm -hmm. and with some understanding. And, and most of that to me is a near field game. Mm -hmm. I mean, the truth is, is, is even in our roles, we are not on the presidential uh, uh, panel. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh -huh. And I think, I don't mean to sound like it's a calling, but, but to me, it's a very personal thing. Um, there are some people, it really is about advocacy and I think mm -hmm. that's important. Right. And if that's your thing, Right. You know, Advocate. become become ed educated first mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and then rather than just standing outside screaming into the wind, um, 
how about try to find an effective way mm-hmm. to operate within the system? I, I, this is a little bit of a digression, but it'll make the point. I, I had a, a professor in, in my master's program, Dr. Applewhite, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I really liked him. We, we used to have a lot of fun with him. But he and I had kind of a running debate through two classes about mm-hmm. a semester and a half. And, and his theory was, you know, you really have to confront the system. That's a, that's a pretty typical social worker. Sure view. is. That's right. Um, yep. And I, and, and I, I said, well, you know, I, I think there is a time and a place for that. Mm-hmm. I, 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 my father's people were, you know, Minnesota coal miners out of Germany. You, know, they yep. carried, you could see their uh, gun holsters on <laughs> sure. their mining belts <laughs> right. going down into the, in, in, into the basement. Right? Right. So, so you just yep. can imagine what that was like with, like, Absolutely. Union busters mm-hmm. and the condition. So, so there's a time to fight the system. Right. But there's also a time to, to, cons- to solid, consolidate gains and, and to work within the system. And, yeah. and, and, and he and I kind of had a friendly well, – well, interestingly enough, I, my, my first job over at Compaq, mm-hmm. I, I'm a middle management – Plebe, right okay? yeah, there you go yeah <laughs> and it was a flat organization but make no mistake right. I, I was not steering compacts <laughs> to greatness right. i was a cog in the machine okay? sure entry yeah. position mm-hmm. and my boss's 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 wife mm-hmm. right <laughs> had a pet project with some society for the blind mm-hmm. thing and i think they'd gone to a gala and it got turf this is how important it was to that guy it got turfed down you know, wow. five management exactly. layers, and it winds up on my desk. <laughs> right. So my boss says, hey, go fix this. So I, you know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and and it, was a, it was a, I forget the name of the nonprofit, but there was a Braille society. They were converting keyboards as a nonprofit, and it right. was for people who were seeing disabled to be able to convert regular keyboards to uh, Braille keyboards. Got it. And the fact was is that the technology has shifted and none of the new keyboards would work. And there was an old compact keyboard that was kind of a legacy keyboard mm-hmm. that would have worked. Right. And, and 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 what I was able to do, I was able to deliver them. They had asked for like a couple hundred. I, I, I wound up finding this factory in the middle of nowhere with a warehouse that we had all these back stock. And I pulled some strings by, by you know, calling out the general manager of the division's right. name. You know, uh-huh. I'm, I'm waving his name around. <laughs> and... Um, I basically shipped them like I don't know. It was ridiculous, like wow. ten thousand keyboards, right? Like, 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 like you know, just something. Just... <laughs> and um, anyway, they sent this lovely letter, and I, right. of course, gave the senior executive one for his wife. And I, but I remember I I, uh, I I emailed that to Dr. Appleby, right? Yeah. <laughs> kind of like I told exactly. you, so, right? you, know, you know? Yeah. So so anyway, I, I think there is a, a case to be made by working within and without, mm-hmm. and yeah. and I think it's how can you be? For me, it's always how can I be effective, and what do I actually connect to? Right. That's right. You know, yeah. um, I mean, frankly, I am not a marcher. I'm just not. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there are people who are called to do that, and I, I, I think sure. it's a good thing. Mm-hmm. But you know what? Um, I can guarantee you that I take great pains to make sure yeah. that somebody feels not only not judged but comfortable. Right. Um, and 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 I, I, I do advocacy in my own way, usually when it's in front of me. Absolutely. Thank you for your perspective on that. That means a lot. So let's talk a little bit about technology transforming mental health. And uh, Robin French and I were just talking before the podcast saying, well, we're, we are not technology gurus. We are not. <laughs> we're not technology gurus. But nope. I think that uh, <laughs> Drew is going to educate us a little bit. This is such an important topic, though, especially this year, right, yeah, with yeah, COVID. Yeah. Uh, it's focused us ready uh, to develop technological infrastructure. Yep. Let's start there. How is technology radically transforming this industry? Well, if you're a tech nerd like I am, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is an amazing time. 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and as we talked a little bit uh, before we went live, uh, this this field, the mental mm-hmm. health field, literally went from very, very low to no adoption of what we would call patient-facing technology. So that would right. mean technology that a clinician is using to treat a mm-hmm. mental health patient. Got it. Uh, yep. th- there's some, you know, you have voice neurofeedback, sure. biofeedback, mm-hmm. there, but, but in terms of adoption, uh, the largest provider in the country for private psych hospitals is still using paper charts. Is that right? Just wow. to put it in perspective, okay? Wow. Um, huh. Which is kind of mind-blowing. It um, is. But medical has been on a forced march to technology mm-hmm. adoption. It's, it started with electronic health records, medical mm-hmm. records, mm-hmm. and there is a lot, a lot, a lot of startups, sure. um, private equity capital, VC capital, yeah. mm-hmm. uh really trying to port technology and 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 keep in mind that the way you and i view it is a little, probably a little different because we're in mental mm-hmm. health treatment right but for most people mental health is a subset of medical mm-hmm. and then i would argue addiction is a subset of mental health sure so we could you know if we wanted to be snarky we say we're stepchildren yeah there <laughs> you know, go. if we want to yep. be you know but 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 it is a it's a niche yep. it's a niche mm-hmm. service and so Adoption tends to trickle from mm-hmm. the middle down, you know, into right. the, the cul-de-sacs, mm-hmm. right? And so what, what we experienced with COVID-19 was literally an overnight, almost 100% adoption yeah. Yeah. to a patient-facing technology. Immediately. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, and it was like, yeah. wasn't there? And then everybody's doing it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and and where that gets exciting, um, so, so, you know, we can spend the next eight hours, of course, in this podcast talking about right. this, which yeah. I'm excited uh-huh. to do. Yeah. But... but <laughs> <laughs> the, the reality is this: whether you are a technophobe, an unenlightened, a, a, a tech, a, a, you know, non-native, I promise that you have adopted a lot of technology sure. and, and probably aren't really even aware of what that means. Right. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. so as I asked you, I, I asked you guys, you know, do you guys yeah. have an iPhone? You know, yeah. Yes. Okay. Well, you are holding more computing power in your hand than than. What, what it took for them to land a, a spacecraft on the moon, right? Amazing, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. And and the heavy lifting is done in the hardware, in the software, mm-hmm. in the algorithms. And so I'll, I'll give you just kind of a, to, to, I'll try to make it a little brief, but a two-part answer to that. Mm-hmm. You know, one, I, I had this kind of wild awareness, and, mm-hmm. and, and I was taking my kids, I think, to a Star Wars movie. Mm-hmm. And I had ordered tickets on one of the online services, which I had not done really that much before right and so i i don't know pick a service it was like fandango or something and so i order it and what was interesting to me this was on my pc so Mm -hmm. it's it's a pc sitting at home in a home office right and uh, i think we went to the opening weekend on a sunday early show Mm -hmm. okay so we're going let's say nine o'clock well i pick up my phone and literally my phone suggests you know click here and it will map my path to the theater and even more than that i'm starting to get suggestions on places to eat lunch wow so so what does that imply that implies a this device was talking to that device Mm -hmm. b it knew i was going to a movie c it knew i was probably going to need to eat lunch after that movie Mm -hmm. (laughs) so it's providing this useful function and it's marketing and it's really in a lot of ways manipulating my Mm -hmm. behavior sure okay well, wait a second. I mean, that's great. Maybe, uh, you know, Molina's got an extra yeah. <laughs> lunch. Yeah. lunch. Um, maybe, uh, you know, the iPhone got, got got a nickel for me doing that, right. whatever. 
But couldn't we use that same basic process, which already exists? Mm-hmm. And you mm-hmm. and I are both, whether we were aware of it or not, mm-hmm. we were adopting that in our lives as normal. Right. Um, couldn't we use that for social good ethically to help people manage a mm-hmm. chronic mental health condition like addiction? Right. And, and mm-hmm. so where I think this is going, how will it transform it? Right now we have adoption, but under the hood, what I think we'll start seeing you know, before this year, most of the apps were kind of clinically informed, but very few in any widespread use. I mean, outside of academic realms or certain niches, were really integrated with a clinical process. Mm-hmm. But by the way, with the normalization of technology, the natural kind of next step is to start integrating technology into clinical process. Now, now as you know, the first thing we're trained, as I shared with you, my, my daughter's a sophomore clinical psychology majors. So, right. so I'm having yeah. a lot of like <laughs> yeah. psychology 101 yeah. conversations, you know. But the first thing they train you about charting is uh, it has to be observable and measurable. Mm-hmm. And by the way, if it's observable and measurable, it can be digitized. Got it. And if it can be digitized, you can apply machine learning. And then you can apply big data. And, and where a computer is terrible at telling you, it's hard for a computer to say this is a dog and that's a cat. Mm-hmm. It's awesome at taking lots of data, wow. looking at patterns, and then sure. managing behavioral patterns, mm-hmm. okay? So in other words, you can port an entire clinical process into the digital space, sure. and it creates access, it creates visibility, wow. it creates efficiencies, and I think you could actually start tying interventions to outcomes ultimately, which is unbelievably exciting to me. I can't wait to, to continue to follow that. <laughs> and are you doing this as a part of Contemporary Medicine Associates, or is that a, a... Well, Contemporary Medicine was Gene Degner's private pa- practice, yes. as you mentioned. Um, I, I've been involved, uh, you know, I'm a partner and owner in that company, uh, and, and uh, we do medical services for mental health providers, you know, right. large psychiatric hospitals. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do addiction medicine, various levels. We do consulting and business development within mm-hmm. mental health and addiction. And we have a private practice in Bel Air where we see a lot, you know, it's a safe place for a person at mm-hmm. any stage in addiction or recovery to come and receive really good medical and mental health care. Right. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So that's really our wheelhouse. Uh, now, that said, be, be a lot, uh, principally because of my focus and my mm-hmm. background and my interest, mm-hmm. um, I, not within the four corners of contemporary medicine, mm-hmm. but my business partners and practice partner within contemporary medicine, we, 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 obviously are involved in you know all kinds of stuff absolutely which, which also includes um I, I launched a technology company which we're um, about uh, i believe to to exit um but but i've i've really been trying to put together a production or working mm-hmm. prototype mm-hmm. which integrates uh, evidence-based clinical practices medical behavioral sure. uh, with technology yeah. within a continuum of care right yeah. And and where I don't have like you know, here's concrete funding, here's a concrete you know project. Right. Um, I mean, as I mentioned to you, I, I did my whole doctorate basically on this premise. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> so I need to read that. <laughs> I'll send you a copy yeah, if you need you some sleep. Sleep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah they put right. you right to bed. Exactly. So at Contemporary Medicine Associates, you guys do do you do psychiatry as well? Uh, we don't actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, we at one time in our life had a couple of psychiatrists, mm-hmm. but. We, we do, uh, uh, Dr. Boilaire, who's mm-hmm. my practice partner, who, who yep. you know very well. Absolutely. He's yep. clinical director at your treatment program. That's right. um, yep. He is a boarded family practice medicine mm-hmm. doctor. He's a boarded addiction medicine doctor. Yeah. Uh, so we're medical model people. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now, now, there's a little bit of an overlap. An addictionologist does do a fair amount of psych. Right. 
but acutely compensated mm -hmm. psych, we would right. refer to a psychiatrist. Got it. Um, yeah. But we we, um, we do everything medical and behavioral in our private practice. Right. Got it. A lot of assessment, a lot of referral, yeah. right. that kind of stuff, yeah. a lot of treatment. Yeah. No, I love working with Dr. Allaire. He's an amazing addictionologist, and, and you guys just do an outstanding job at Contemporary. It's such a needed niche here in Houston that there's not a lot. I really, quite frankly, don't know of another practice similar to yours. No, thank you. And, um, you know, when Dr. Dengner approached me 10 years ago, his goal was not to make more money or to cash out. His goal was to keep the brain trust going and keep the practice going. Mm -hmm. And it, and it really was what your observation. It was, you know, there are not yeah. a lot of people who specialize in that. Right. And, and as you've seen, I mean, you're, you're, you're obviously one of the, the real experts on addiction and pain, mm -hmm. and, and certainly in our community. Thank you. Um, and nationally, well, there aren't a lot of guys like you or me or Dr. Lair. Right. right. And, and, and what makes people like us crazy is we see patients who have been seeing what appear to be good practitioners and they come in with a fistful of benzos or a fistful of opiates Absolutely. or contraindicated medications sure. or approaches and and they're literally dying in front of of practitioners yeah. and and you know the the i think i think one of the big signs of ethics and maturity as a clinician is knowing when to refer absolutely um yep. you know there are certain cases i i could probably figure it out mm -hmm. but i don't see 20 PTSD patients a week. No. <laughs> and, no. and a right. severely yeah. decompensating PTSD right. patient does not need to meet with me. That's right. Yeah. yeah. You know, well, well, I, I do see 20 plus addiction mm -hmm. patients in a week. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so uh, I think the mark of a really good clinician is knowing what you do and what you don't do. That's right. And, and when to refer. Yeah. And, and so, you know, what yeah. keeps us going, we, we, it was exactly your observation. It's, it's yeah. we're very passionate about this mm -hmm. and, I, I mean, this is kind of funny. I've tried to get out of the addiction part of this field mm -hmm. probably five or six times. Sure. And what keeps pulling me back, I, I honestly, I'm like, you know what? Um, I don't see four people behind me kind yeah. of stepping in. Right. Um, You're exactly right. Wow. Yeah. And that collaborative approach that you guys have, I think, is the shared philosophy that we have. And it's, and it's so nice and refreshing to work with a practice that has this collaborative approach, knowing that two, three, four minds are so much better than one and really looking at the whole body system and, and helping patients understand what their human condition is. Well, yeah. and that's a great segue for We wanted to take this down to a personal level too, just to find out a little bit more about you and like, what, where's your happy place? What gives you joy? Yeah, I, I guess I could answer that in different ways throughout my life, but mm -hmm. I could tell you right now. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, very family devoted. Uh, mm. I, I think if you grow up in Texas, but generally speaking, um, and, and, and so, so a lot of my life revolves around that. Okay. Uh, I've really kind of left an academic life. I, I, I'm kind of a cerebral person. Mm -hmm. um, but, but, you know, personal passions, I, I've always been a theater guy. I mean, I, I think one thing Dr. Flowers, mm -hmm. you and I share, love of opera, That's love right. of theater, um, you know, which... I haven't, neither of us have been to probably. <laughs> Not and, this year. <laughs> and, yeah. At least since February. Um, mm -hmm. yeah. Strangely enough, there's nothing more uh, zealous than like the recently converted. And, mm -hmm. and so I was really not a college football guy. And going to USC, somebody <laughs> said, you know, they have a great college football team. And now I'm, I've gone rabid. I mean, I literally put on the shirt. I've got a shirt for my dog, as embarrassing as that is. I watch all the I, – I go to the games when they're nearby. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy. Huh. And so uh, I was excited when Pac-12 announced they were going to have a That's season right. in February. I, mean, yep. yep. I mean, in uh, November. I was yep. like, Eureka! You know? <laughs> um, and and, and uh, 
I have a lot of passions, whether it's reading yeah. or travel yeah. or, you yeah. know, and, and so our, my wife and I are sort of excited. I, uh, we, our kids are now almost launched. Uh, we've mm-hmm. got two Good high school you. juniors who are twins. Yep. Thank you. Yeah. And uh, we have a sophomore in college. And so a lot of what we, we we're doing is enjoying this time while they're kind of an adult and kind yep. of still mm-hmm. in our orbit. And you realize the clock's ticking. And so, um, you know, on the work side, what really, I, I really, truly, you know, here's what I found. You talk about the human condition. Mm-hmm. You know, for me, I feel the most human when I'm integrated from the standpoint of more or less how I think, how I feel, and how I act is somewhat lined up, regardless of role, right? Yeah. So am I the same person sitting here with you as going home, talking to my wife, as meeting with a patient? I'll be at different roles, yeah. right? But but is there that presence and that integration and honestly um what i have found and and some of this is sort of a recovering principle but some of this is personal i guess life philosophy if you want to call it that yeah um when i can get out of my personal agenda and really dial into what can i bring to this instead of what can i take you know how can i help rather than what's my angle it's it's not that you you don't advocate for those things Mm -hmm. but it's if your focal point is what you bring to something what Mm -hmm. i found is i connect to it in a different way and oddly enough, um, I mean, again, sound business practices aside, uh, what I found is the other things kind of take care of themselves. So, mm-hmm. so honestly, this stint with, with uh, Gene Degner before he retired about three years ago and, and with my current business partners, a vast majority of my conscious time is about what can I, you know, how do I help these people I'm meeting with in terms of That's patients? Awesome. How do mm-hmm. I bring value mm-hmm. to my business partners? How do I grow this business to help people? And, and, you know, from a human standpoint, um, I, I sleep great at night. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I really yeah. do. Um, and I, I, I'm very fortunate. I'm very privileged to have the life I have and, yeah. and to get to do what I enjoy doing. I, mm-hmm. I, this, with this life I have, it may, somebody else might be bored to death. I think my brother who's an adrenaline yeah. junkie uh-huh. would look at my life and go, geez, you know. Um, <laughs> sure. But, but yep. for me, this is the life I chose. Yeah. Right? And you're living your best life. Well, yeah. and, and then it does kind of boil down, you know, to your own self be true within yeah. that. And so yeah. what I find yeah. is when I'm coming from that place, um, you know, when I'm sitting here with you, I'm with you. Mm-hmm. I'm not right. in my past or my future. Yeah, uh, that's I, awesome. Yeah, right here, right now, we yeah. always say. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. gentlemen, we are running out of time. We yeah. have two minutes left. All right. Uh, is there anything that you can share with us that we haven't covered that's important to you? No, you know, I, I, again, I guess all I would say, and I want to give Dr. Flowers the last word since this is his podcast, <laughs> but, but what I would say is, you know, again, what a privilege. I, I really was uh-huh. so looking forward to just having some in-person time. I've been pretty appropriately socially distanced. Right. So I've got yeah. my mask. Your and, USC mask. So it's just so nice to sit in a room with people and yeah. have a, a conversation. Mm-hmm. That's right. And, and yeah. you know, people of like mind. Yeah. And so thank Absolutely. you so much. It was yeah. a real you, privilege. You know what? Thank you for being here. Um, you know, it, it's been a difficult year for so many people. You guys bring a lot of health to people. Keep bringing health to people. Keep being a big big part of our Houston recovery community, um, really in our wellness community. And thank you for collaborating with us all the time, uh, both at the treatment centers and J Flowers Health. And uh, appreciate you being here. So all the best to you. And if folks want to reach you, how do they reach you? Contemporary Uh, Medicine. My website, um, I'm happy to, if you... you, uh, 
our website is uh, www.cmamed.com, so okay. our, our acronym, uh, med.com. Okay. Uh, if you Google us, you'll find us. Um, I'd be okay. happy. Uh, my pers- I'll, I'll give you my personal email address. I don't do any clinical communications over it, mm-hmm. obviously, for HIPAA, but if somebody wants sure. to reach out, it's D-R-E-W-K-R-I-E-G-E-R at yahoo.com. Um, and if anybody Thank you. Uh, is, uh, reaches out to you and wants to get a hold of me, uh, you're more than happy uh, to give them my cell phone information. Thank you. There Thank you go. You. Thanks yeah. for being here. Have a great week. <laughs> yep. right. You too. Yep. Thanks. Dr. Flowers, if somebody wants to reach you, where do they go? Certainly they can uh, go to jflower, www.jflowershealth.com, or you can call our office at 713-783-6655. Great. Yeah. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you, Robin. Have a good afternoon. Yeah, thanks so much. Bye.